0: Lark and Kasem's Starter Revolution is the recent release from best-selling author Kaysen Calendar. Lark is a Black, queer, non-binary, and neurodivergent teen who hopes to snag thousands of Twitter followers in a book deal for an unfinished novel. Kasem accidentally uses Lark's phone to send tweets from their account, confessing unrequited love. When they go viral, Lark takes credit for the tweets and uses them to their advantage to get a date with their crush. However, the tweets Kaysen made were all about his love for Lark. Stay with us as we speak with Kaysen about why they write books for the young and marginalized, their love for art, and the peace found in detaching themselves from social media. Are you currently looking for a bookstore that has a great selection of books? Well, Kizzy's Books and More is that bookstore. Visit www.kizzysbooksandmore.com to purchase your next book for our book club. Use coupon code Genius to receive 10% off the subtotal of your first order. up everybody welcome back to another episode of the vulgar geniuses podcast we are your host my name is denny and i am veronica and today we are joined by a very very special guest um we are so blessed and honored to have none other than case calendar with us case uh is our october book of the month pick um They were also our pick for last year uh, when they won the National Book Award in 2020 for King and the Dragonflies. Uh, So a little info on Kaysen before we get started. Kacen Calendar is a best-selling and award-winning author of multiple novels for children, teens, and adults, including the National Book Award-winning King and the Dragonflies and the best-selling novel felix ever after Kason enjoys playing rpg video games practicing their art and focusing on healing and growth in their free time they currently reside in los angeles california welcome to the show how are you doing this this wonderful wonderful evening
1: thank you thanks for having me i'm pretty good
0: well um like we said your book was our pick for the month of October which is my birthday month mm-hmm. pick and um this we read King and the and the Dragonflies and we were blown away and last January, we had sent an, an email to see if we could get you on the show. And they said that, no, Kason is busy right now working on something new. And to have this moment to come a year later to actually speak with you about your wonderful new book, Lark and Kaysom, Start a... Uh, revolution we are just honored and we just want to say thank you i'm gonna pass it off to denny we like to put all of our authors in the in a little hot seat for, it's not really that hot it's not hot don't 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 scare them off. i'm not gonna scare them out because this is what you deemed <laughs> deemed it as so so i'm gonna give it to you just so uh the the people
2: of the world know um what is your current favorite rpg video game
1: Oh, man. Well, right now um, it's Baldur's Gate 3, but it's still in development. So every now and then they pause and they say there needs to be an update and it forces you to restart the game. So that's happened. To- <laughs> that's happened to me twice now. And I every time I think about all the bosses and like dungeons, I have to fight again. I'm like, nah, I'm just going to wait until it's officially released. We're
2: <laughs> wasting our time. <laughs> Um, Do you have a current project at the moment?
1: I do. Um, I'm working on a contemporary that I literally just started like last week and I just hit my stride on today. So I'm feeling excited about that. But um, it hasn't really been announced. My editor doesn't even know about it, actually. So I should probably not say anymore.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Exclusive. Secrets. Um, (laughs) Who is your favorite artist?
1: Um like illustrator you mean
0: yeah because we we read that you uh are into art so I was just wondering if you had a, a favorite artist
1: yeah um I feel I'm trying to kind of get back into illustration I feel like most inspired by like Art Nouveau um and I think just like Klimt's like golden kind of like texture style speaks to me um but I'm still very, like, the beginning of my illustration life, so.
0: Were you doing your art at the same time as when you started to to write?
1: I actually started out as an artist first. I always thought I was going to be a graphic novelist. Um, and when I was, like, 10 years old, my big dream was to run away to work for a Studio Ghibli.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, dream. Yeah. And... <laughs> Yeah, in college, I decided I made like the wrong choice—or not wrong choice, but like the mistake of thinking I have to choose between art and writing—and I chose writing and gave up on art. And now I'm like at my quarter-life crisis of I shouldn't have done that. I'm trying to return to art again. You
2: know, so <laughs> you never know; they might have a graphic novel. So watch out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is this is a Veronica question.
0: Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> Uh, So, in 2020, your novel, King and the Dragonflies, won the National Book Award. Where is your National Book Award right now, in this moment, and do you wear your medal around town?
1: (laughs) Um, One thing I need to work on is accepting, like, love and praise and, like, awards with, like, uh, without wanting to run away from all of that so my award is currently hidden away in a cabinet and I really need to like pull it out and put it on a shelf and be proud of it um and because of that no I definitely do not wear the medal around (laughs) around town maybe one day I'll get there
2: (laughs) so before we begin um asking you about your wonderful novel um do you mind telling our readers um what your new book is all about
1: Lark and Kasim Start Revolution is about 17 year old non binary neurodivergent Lark who aspires to be a published author. And they think think the only way to get to that is by reaching over 50,000 followers on Twitter. And they're actually pretty well on their way, but then their former best friend and now number one enemy Kasim um, accidentally posts on Lark's Twitter account about Kasim's unrequited love story. And the post goes viral and Lark feels like they are spun up in a lie that they can't control as they kind of like take the credit for this viral post and pretend to be in love with another classmate. Um, And it's one of my favorite tropes is the oblivious main character who has no idea that someone is so obviously in love with them. So Kasim is very obviously in love with Lark and posted that about them, but they just have no idea. It just goes over their head. Um, And yeah, the book is really about... um, like safety and accountability and what does self-love actually look like in a world where um, we we're all learning growing human beings and need to make mistakes. Um, So there are a lot of, well, we're all learning growing human beings and make mistakes, not that we need to make mistakes. Um, And yeah, I feel like that was, it was a book about healing for me as I was, as I was writing it.
0: It was a wonderful book for us to read Uh, for us. You know, this is our, our second book of yours. So we were just wondering, you know, um, when you started working on this project, what was Lark's origin story for you?
1: That's a great question because um, the book started out very differently. It was in 2020, um, maybe towards the end of 2020, that I started writing this book and I decided to write it from the perspective or from the setting of the start of 2020. So the current books setting is kind of like vaguely the (laughs) pandemic has started um, but it's not like right at the beginning of the pandemic whereas the first draft within like the first chapter it was announced that there's this mysterious new virus Um, so the original lark and the original draft felt very like and constricted and claustrophobic in the same way that the pandemic itself itself felt as we were going through quarantine as we were kind of like trapped in our homes. Um, I realized that the story itself felt very trapped because the characters literally could not get out to interact with one another. And Lark's personality was very, um, I would say just drab, like there was nothing going on there. (laughs) It was very like, like it had much to be desired. And when I finally like released the story and the setting from the year 2020 itself, and I felt like the story was so much more about the year than it was about the characters. Um, I felt like this explosion of freedom that allowed a lot more creativity to flow in. And Lark's character became, um, I think, reflected that. Uh, they in, the, in that draft, I realized was neurodivergent, autistic, had ADHD. And I think because of that, the voice felt a lot closer to um, how I authentically feel. Yeah. So yeah, Lark's character developed a lot more because of that.
0: Your, your work um, has spanned over numerous subject matters from grief, sexuality, and race, all while holding uh, like this magnifying glass to how all of these subjects work within the relationships with these characters, um, with their family and their friends. Why have you made relationships be the focus from where you write from?
1: I think because um, within my personal life, from growing up in St. Thomas in the U.S. Virgin Islands, I, um, I've always had more of like an isolated life than a lot of my characters have. So especially for uh, the YA age range for teenagers, I think when I'm writing, I'm writing for my inner teen. I'm kind of like almost doing a wish fulfillment for my inner teen of creating these communities that I wish had been available for me, like these Black queer trans um communities where i felt like i where i would have been able to discover myself a lot sooner so for like felix ever after for example that big friend group where felix is able to be himself and with lark um having like the close connection of someone who with kasim who really accept accepts them um mistakes and all regardless of their identity i feel like i'm basically writing for my younger self
2: Mm.
0: yeah because i definitely i think from when we when we read your your King and the, and the Dragonflies, I think for us, that was when we first ventured into doing a lot more YA. Mm-hmm. And it's easy for, uh I think, those characters to tend to just be focused on themselves because, you know, you, you get a lot of the YA stories are from a first person point of view and to be able to see somewhere where those connections are very vital to who that person is, even though it, they might be speaking from their mind you're hearing all of their thoughts to know how all of those relationships exist and and the meaning behind them are were huge in your in your first book and to in in that first book that we read and to see it again within um, your newest book really shows how important all of those relationships are and and it for me as an adult reading this it definitely pulls to me to see like you know like how I look at my relationships with my family and my friends and I think that's the power that YA has where it's just kind of has you do this like introspection into self you might be reading about children but you go and you look and say okay like what are those areas am I too focused on social media am I you know not being truthful with myself in certain ways so I want to commend you for that
1: thank you yeah absolutely I agree and I feel like um, even though I am in my 30s now. I still have, you know, I feel like we all have our inner child and inner teen to kind of look back on and, and to potentially heal. And I feel like these books really can help facilitate that sometimes. Yes, mm.
2: definitely healing um, with regards to your book because it taps into every single person I think's childhood. And, you know, we come out as adults from our experiences as a child. So, if there are some things that we need to work on, or some things that definitely need healing, to me, I always turn on books and to the authors that I feel like know how to communicate that effectively to adults. Mm, yeah. So, somewhere in this lifetime, I feel like somebody already has called you, you know, their hero, because you do write about. Black nine non-binary and like neurodivergent characters, which is unfortunately, you know, not normalized as as we all want it to be. Um, this book is very special since I think it makes them feel very seen. What is it like to be one of, to me, the biggest influences in changing the literary scene that you help normalize these characters that are usually misunderstood? underrepresented and marginalized?
1: It's a really beautiful way of asking that. Thank you. Um, it can be in the moment, like writing Larkin Kasim. it felt like very freeing and very joyful. Um, I think as an author, there's like the moment where you switch from being the writer, where it's all creativity and joy to becoming the author, right? Where the book is out in the world and the identity becomes, the identity kind of shifts in that way. Um, I think I'm in a space now of trying to figure out how to accept that um, pushing the envelope is not always going to be accepted, and I am going to have to, as an author, deal with the kind of, like, pushback um, with the book bans, with uh, transphobic reviews, with, you know, I, I honestly have been, for my own mental health, taking a pause on all of that, and that's why, that's partly why I've taken, like, a huge step back from social media is because that can all be very overwhelming it does affect me on my writing and the creativity and joy as I sit down to write, all I can think about is, oh, remember that one person that wrote that they, them pronouns are incorrect because of like, well, you know, it's just like trying to get all that out of my head and find safety for myself as a writer um, has been my priority. And I want to figure out how to have safety for myself as a writer, as an author, and then also be able to be there um, to push the envelope as an author for others, whether it's on social media, whether it's speaking out against book bans, whether it's being able to have conversations about um, these like inappropriate microaggression reviews, um, that sort of thing.
2: So, you know, speaking of the characters that you've created in this this book, what were the steps and the care that you took to create these diverse and neurodivergent characters without sounding stereotypical?
1: I think just pulling from authentic pieces of myself, um, all the characters tend to be based um, on me. Even when the characters were getting into arguments, I can tend to see a lot of different sides of various arguments. So they're getting into a a debate and it's genuinely me thinking this, oh, but then also there's this side. And it's just always, um, I hope that the characters feel authentic because they kind of all pull from threads of my own personality and my own um, thoughts and opinions
2: yeah because when we when when we were talking about the book, and I was like, you know, it it really sounds very realistic, like all of their conversations like at some point, you I almost feel like the tension in the i'm in the I'm in the room. like you can almost feel the tension in the room when they were arguing, when they were like talking about like you know, their really big feelings. So I was like, oh, you know, to me that means a lot because I've always said to all our authors that we talked to if I if I read the book and I'm in the room with these characters it has made it it has made it for me mm.
1: thank you I I'm also I find myself when I'm writing sometimes I'm like acting the stuff out with the characters I feel like I'm right there with the characters <laughs> I'm happy the reader feels that way also
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I'm I'm there with you.
0: <laughs> Do you read those those parts out loud after you've written just to see if it sounds like this is a heated argument?
1: Sometimes. I mean, I think that when I can tell it's a heated argument is when I'm making the faces the characters are making as I'm writing the words.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I see that very much now. <laughs> they even told Veronica, like this, like this, this right here is a like, you know, like a, a TV series. I'm like I we 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 got we got to make this happen cuz it's it I, it was it was good it was good.
1: Thank you. I'll make a manifestation candle circle or something for that to happen.
0: Yes. <laughs> I'm I'm here for it. <laughs> um it it seems as if being a teenager is more difficult uh but also more freeing. Uh, than it was when we were young. Um, There are still those outside matters of growing up and learning how to move through the waters of teenage angst and peer pressure, as well as all of the outside world problems that infiltrate a young person's uh, microcosm. But it has been a pleasure to watch teenagers tap into this space of becoming this next elevated way of how to be human. Uh, by sharing their true selves and living as close to their truth as possible. What has it been for you to write characters that reflect these children we are seeing bloom in this day and age?
1: It's been really inspiring. Um I do think that I used to feel a little bit more in a bubble when I had this sort of conversation and talking about how Gen Z are kind of like the heroes of the world. Like I feel so inspired by them because um from such a younger age, I think there's been a lot more access to information because of social media. There's more access to connecting with people that you might not have connected with before. So there's um, tended to be more understanding and empathy. Um, I say that I want to be careful because I do think that it's easy to say that, but then forget that there are also communities where teenagers are being passed on the same kind of information that they had been from their parents. So racism still exists, transphobia still exists, that's still an issue. And there still is a lot of Gen Z, um, there still are a lot of Gen Z teenagers who are having to struggle with the same bullying issues that we did with before. Um, But I think that as harmful that as social media can be, especially when thinking about conversations of like self-esteem, conversations that happen within Larkin Kasim around like the shaming versus accountability, Um, I do think that that has played such a huge role in um, young people today being able to connect and have conversations that I'm only having today sometimes for the first time. I remember, I feel like young people, when I was in college having conversations about identity for the first time, have those conversations when they're 10 years old, like it's just happening at such a earlier age and I'm very impressed by this generation.
0: Yeah, I'm a former um, librarian. I used to work in a high school. And I think that is probably one of the things that I miss the most about being surrounded by young people and just seeing how they are communicating. Because it is like, it is a huge lesson on how to be able to have conversations that you know you were you were taught to tiptoe around that they were Mm -hmm. too taboo to have or you're not being able to get into a space where you figure out you know this is how I identify this this is who I I I want to love this is who I need to love and to be able to have those conversations just like if I just asked them you know did you just watch the Beyonce video last night it was you know it was definitely a, a a learning experience and it's just wonderful to to see all of that play out in, in, in literature. I wish,
2: I wish I had, I wish I had what they have right now, because I feel like if I did, I probably would be a more effective adult. Mm. And the struggles that I've experienced, like probably for two decades of my life would probably have been very different. Like just how they communicate and they, put themselves out there is to me impressive like how almost sometimes fearless and but also at times non-judgmental it's Mm. just like it is what it is and you have to accept it like we're just stating facts I think that's what I love the most when I when I talk about this generation
0: um in in your book you make mention of titles of uh, books that the kids are reading, like Kiese Layman's Heavy and Candace Elo's Everybody Looking. Was this a way to drop like a hidden book list for teens to consider reading? And what is your relationship with these writers and their work?
1: Yeah, I wanted to, Black and Kaseem was very much so about like Blackness. Every song was that was mentioned also had um, Black musicians and artists and I felt like um, I wanted to use the space to uphold other um, authors that I really respect. So the authors that I mentioned were, back when I was on social media, I felt like they were all authors who I just kind of like aspire to be in terms of community in terms of like how they uphold other authors. Um, Yeah, I just wanted to to use the space as like a platform to have like some black shine. Mm.
2: Yes, it's loaded. Like those Easter eggs,
0: yes. <laughs> uh, Lark, your main character. Um, they find themselves having to wrestle with their impact and and the impact and consequences of using Twitter. Uh, last year, you transitioned away from your social media account on Instagram, with your focus being mainly on Twitter. What has your time on these platforms taught you about the way we communicate with each other about our lives for public? consumption?
1: Oh, that's a very big question. Uh, My ADHD brain just went in a million different directions. Um, I think one of the first pieces is uh, safety and not really feeling necessarily that uh, public spaces like these are safe spaces in order to um, show my true self. And I'm not in a space where I'm able to show my my true self knowing that that will be rejected and attacked. Um, So some people are able to do that. like, you know, good for y'all. Honestly, (laughs) I'm not there yet. Um, And then talking about safe spaces, like showing who we are for public consumption, I feel like um, the conversation might need to shift towards, you know, what, with like the theme of shaming versus accountability, like how is it that we feel about ourselves and how does that reflect how we treat other people? And how do we allow how we treat other people to become like a fun game sometimes versus thinking about the human beings that are on the other side of the screen? Mm. Um, and <laughs> there's so much. And as an, again, like going back to the writer versus author um, conversation, I was feeling a lot of pressure to be on there as an author versus Case and Calendar, who's a human being who also happens to be a writer. Um, and that felt very, uh, that was that was difficult for me because I don't like to, um, you know. So it's like we have uh, suggestions or rec- we're recommended to like post. Oh, here's what my life is like. Oh, also here, are, like at least five tweets about my book, and it just felt very kind of like forced. So um, that didn't feel authentic to me. So there's still a lot that I'm like grappling with. I still have not actually pressed the delete button on Twitter, though I've gotten so very close, just mm-hmm. a couple of times. Um, because I think there is still a part of me that wants to be able to stand in a space that does not feel safe and be my true self, um, and hopefully, like, enroll or inspire people to um, treat one another with more kindness and empathy with the knowledge that we're all learning, growing human beings. I feel like that could be nice to be able to use a platform like that, mm-hmm. um, but I'm just not there yet.
2: Yeah, and I, I don't think there's any, any problem with it. When we first started this this platform too i was so terrified like to show my face like i told veronica i don't think i can show them who i really am like it took me at least what two years to like a year a year and a half something like that a year and a half to like okay i'm ready to like i guess own own everything that we're saying own everything that i wanted to like Show the people like, oh, this is what we're standing for. We're standing for you know bipoc authors that don't have a platform to share their art with. but even even then, I'm like trying to at least in my head trying to do like a nice thing. It makes it's still it's so hard because then I'm afraid of like judgment, like you said, and like you know you you create your own boundaries for your own safety. I'm just curious like how how has life been without all that excess noise in your life?
1: I've become a much better writer for it. Um, I've become a much better, I think, I don't want to say better person, because there is judgment in that, but I myself was giving myself enough space to take a step back and be like, you know, was I honestly enjoying those pylons, like those call-outs where a person didn't necessarily even make a mistake? It was just like they stated their opinion. I was able to give myself space to be honest about that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I grew a lot because of that. So taking a major step back has been very helpful to me and to being able to keep an eye on an eye on the prize like an eye on what it is that my goal actually is versus what my goal might be um, influenced by social media
2: mm. yeah hopefully one day we're going to be free of the excess, mm-hmm. excess noise. <laughs> yeah. it's hard it's hard um there's this one point when Lark was always worried about the audience's opinion and what they would think about their writing. Kasim mm-hmm. the on the other hand said that you should write for yourself and whatever would make you happy. As an author that has written books for different ages and genres, do you still struggle with this conundrum?
1: I do and Larkin Kasim was kind of like the permission ticket to finally focus on what it is I do want to write. Um, I'm not going to say never say never. Um, I'm sorry to say because I know that King, you've been talking about King the Dragonflies. That is um, a middle grade, but I have realized that my heart isn't necessarily in the middle grade space anymore. So maybe one day I'll return to it, but I'm feeling much more drawn towards like older teen and adult books these days. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a very long time, I was feeling like, no, this is what I've done. This is, these are like, I've, my first book was a middle grade. I felt like tied to having to do this because that's what like other people expected, and finally finding that inner joy of like, no, you know, I want to be able to find the freedom to write what I want to write. Um, and I, f- I feel like I found that because I was writing Larkin Gassim, um finally gave me the space to be honest about what it is I do want to focus on.
0: How did you find yourself uh, uh, going into this particular genre of, of book in the very beginning of writing for children?
1: Um, for middle grade, you mean, or for YA? Uh,
0: for, for both, for middle grade and YA.
1: It's like a, kind of a long story. Um, I started out really, I started out not even wanting to write children's books. Um, and then someone suggested that a lot of my uh, interests were geared more towards YA and teen. So when I started to do, this was like around the Divergent area era, like when Divergent had just come out, um, Hunger Games was big. So I started to do a lot of research into that. And I wanted to, my, my thing was always, I just want to be like this big, why fantasy dystopian at the time author. Um, And (laughs) I feel like that uh, became a big block in my actual, in my writing. I wasn't able to even finish a draft because the ego was so thick in the pages. Like I just could not like release that to actually write um, whatever it is that my heart wanted me to write. Mm -hmm. Uh, So never really got published. Meanwhile, Parallel was started working as an intern at Little Brown Books Young Readers. Um, and I saw that there was a gap in the market for middle grade books, especially for um, people of color. We were just very underrepresented and like forget about queer books. I think at the time there were maybe like three queer books in middle grade that I could um, think of. Um, So I uh, went back to a lot of old stories and wrote and kind of like pieced together and looked at um, creating Hurricane Child. So that was my first book and I think that a lot of it had to do with being able to see what the market needed, um, and help to fill a gap. And <laughs> this is a long story. <laughs>
2: well, we're here for it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, I think it was around that time that Simon versus the Homo Sapiens agenda had also come out. And I absolutely fell in love with that book. Um, and I kind of like gave up on the fantasy dystopian um, side of things and went for the contemporary um, rom-com side. So. I wrote this is kind of an epic love story, my first OIA that was um, very inspired by Love Simon with wanting to show like black queer teenagers in love without having to having it be about like our trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that, I think that's the end of the story.
0: So this, this is the first book that we've read um, that has COVID within the timeline. Of the story, and many of the writers that we've spoken to, um who have written like post COVID, post the beginning of COVID, said that they didn't, they never wanted to create a universe in this in this way where the pandemic existed. Why did you decide to use it and include it into your story?
1: From the get go, I felt like, and this is no shade to the authors who decided not to, because I can feel why you don't want to do that. Um, To this day, I'm still like, oh gosh, it's so hard to write about. But um, I just felt like the pandemic has changed so much and reflected so much about our society that at this point to ignore it would almost be like writing about speculative fiction or maybe like a historical story before the pandemic started. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, the pandemic just uncovered. I know it's these days, I feel like I'm in a space where a lot of people are kind of like pretending it's not happening, but it's still happening and people are still. So affected by it that um and teen oh my god, teenagers who have missed their graduations, who missed so much of their social life, who were so um, you know, it's like the two lost years of their lives. I feel like that is hard to ignore when writing for teenagers.
0: Yeah. I, I think that it was it was uh, really good for you to include that, you know, like I just saw my mom for the first time in four years (laughs) since the beginning the last time I saw her was in 2019 so to be able to like see her um just a few this last week was Mm -hmm. a was you know a blessing um to have made it up to this point since the beginning of COVID and so you know when I see how that gets, you know, taken out as if it never happened. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just like, well, at some point, these things are going to have to enter into the story because, you know, like you said, you have had teenagers to miss their, their graduations. My niece and my, both of my nieces, I've missed their college graduation mm. and their high school graduation, having to watch it on television um, because of COVID. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of children would benefit from reading stories that would touch on this is how i'm feeling this is where we were this is what we yeah. were dealing with To to see their their full lives reflected in not just who they are individuals but to see their full lives in the story so a special treat that you you've given us um you provided readers with a with a special guide at the end of the book on writing suggestions to creating a story. And you give them insight on the querying process within the novel itself. You have basically summed up all the conversations that we've had with authors uh, with questions regarding this journey. What was it like for you when you received your first yes response to your book?
1: Oh, um. So I was like Lark, and I queried a book that was not finished yet. (laughs) (laughs) And so my first yes was for that fantasy of like, yes, I want to see like the next 50, you know, so I scrambled and, you know, never do that. Um, But I, I mean, that was the very first yes. So that was kind of like a moment of like panic. But getting to the first yes of like, yes, I want to represent you. Yes, we want to be published. It felt... Um, I don't think I was like letting myself be in the moment, like sink into it and really celebrate it. Um, I was definitely in a mind space of like, okay, next step, next step, next step. And I'm finally like slowing down um, and allowing myself to celebrate these moments. So I guess like it got published in 2018 probably got like represented a couple years before that. Um, so a good chunk of time later, finally like saying those were accomplishments, you know? Mm-hmm. I think it's easy to pretend or to forget how difficult this can be. And I, yeah, I feel like I should celebrate old me for, for making it this far.
0: Well, we definitely celebrate you, you in all of the work that you have uh, created for us to to eat up uh, like it's you, Thanksgiving Day.
2: You you kind of <laughs> set us up for failure when we started with like king and the dragonflies as our first like, you know, like young people, young people's book. I'm like, it was so hard to find another book oh. <laughs> that we can read and we'd be like, oh, we're so much satisfied. Um. So, yeah. You, you and and no
0: shade to the authors, <laughs> if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, we're just we're, um, I'm
2: just talking truth.
0: You know, we're speaking our truth in in that book and all of everything else that you've created. Um, like we said, it has just been a, a delicious meal for us to to partake, and we are um just privileged to be able to to speak with you about your newest work. Um, but now we're at the point of our conversation uh, that we ask all of our authors that come on. Um, a very important question, mm-hmm. um, and and you have the choice. So, we would like to know either your top five favorite books of all time. We know that this le- this might change when mm-hmm. you get off this Zoom call, and you're like, oh snap, I should have said something else, or the top five books that you are most excited about from people in the community that you are that you are writing with that you want
1: people to know about. Oh my gosh. You know that you made this really hard, right? <laughs> you click it to another level. Usually, the um, like, what's your favorite book of hearts of all time is hard enough to answer. I could, I'll try though. It's, I think I'm going to say Graceling by Kristen Kishore really had a huge impact on me um, when I first started writing. Um, Black Sun by Rebecca Roanhorse. Um, uh, oh my gosh, what's the first book of the Broken Earth trilogy by N.K. Jemison? Um, well, the first book, which I've, whatever the title is, um, really wrecked me. Um, that's three. Um, the Book of Night Women by Marlon James had a huge impact on me. Um, and I, like a fourth and final one. Yeah, this is tough because I feel like I'm going to really regret not. I'm going to look back at myself and be like, oh, no, this was my favorite. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to say a tie because I'm going to cheat between Six of Crows and Daughter of Smoke and Bone. Oh, wow. No, wait. Also, we are... Oh, God. No. You know what? This is too hard of a question. I'm just <laughs> also going to say We Are Okay by Nina LaCour, Aristotle and Dante. I'm going to stop. I'm going to force myself to stop, but there are too many books to choose from. There's always too many
0: books. Six, yeah. of-, Six of Crows was that book that I always had to keep ordering because... The people kept taking it and wouldn't bring it back to the library.
1: I mean, understand. Uh, it's a very popular
0: book. <laughs> is it the fifth season? Is that the what it is? Fifth
1: season, yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. Yes. Well, there you go, yes. everybody in the in the in the podcast listening world. Uh Kayson just gave you their top five. Um yeah. and like this is not set in stone. Yes. Mm-hmm. So don't add them on Twitter. calm down we all have our we all have our own
2: favorites on Tuesdays and on Sundays
0: (laughs) relax yes (laughs) um but yes thank you uh so much for sharing the space with us this evening um this has definitely been a treat and an honor and we are so grateful for you spending this this hour with us
1: thank you so much thanks for having me
0: We hope you enjoyed
2: our show. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Vulgar Geniuses.
0: Our theme song that you're nodding your head along to was produced by Sean Kantrowitz. You can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Sean Dammit. That's S-E-A-N-D-A-M-M-I-T.
2: Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to our podcast. See you soon!
0: Deuces.